Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war and welcome to another edition of Q&A with the nurses. I am here today with Nurse Jody and Nurse Michelle, here to answer all of your burning questions and address your comments, just as we do every Tuesday here on Nurses Out Loud. So we do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions, comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We encourage you all to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Ladies, welcome on. Yeah, good to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, same. Happy Absolutely. New Year. Happy New Year. And we were almost there, almost to 2024. Today's date's 123123. So that's interesting. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm hoping this year is going to be one of the good ones. Exactly. Actually, it's not that's not today's date. I'm, I'm sorry. Oops. That's not today's date. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> that's like a but big you no know no. what? We, we, we all deserve a break. So we are pre recording our shows. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big no no. I totally forgot that. Malcolm, no, don't listen. Don't listen. <laughs> yeah. And we're working on a holiday. Hello. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we get double time today. <laughs> <laughs> Jody is just getting over being sick, and now Kimberly's I'm turn. Sick. Yeah, I, we're all we're all having our turn here. Yeah, I'm, I'm had a little bit of a head cold. It's now trying to settle down into my chest. So, but you know, I'll do just fine. I'll be nebulizing and doing all of the things, and pop a couple of those horse pills. What are those called again? Ivermectin. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, I think I'll be just fine. Um, but yeah, so here we are uh, getting ready to kick off 2024 and we are here answering some questions. So I guess we'll just jump right in. Um, one of the first ones I've got here, we have an email from one of our listeners. This is from Amy um, and Amy wanted to send us an email um, that uh, she is concerned. She believes that the Moderna COVID shot has killed her father. Um, he was a retired clinical pharmacist for the VA hospital, uh, was a medic in the army in the Korean War. He received uh, two vaccines in early 2021. And uh, then after that, he developed angina a few months after he received his second dose of the Moderna vaccine. Uh, he was taken to a cardiologist. They then diagnosed him with a, a right bundle block Bundle branch block bundle. Lord help me. Bundle <laughs> branch block. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have a STEMI ST elevated myocardial infarction. 
<laughs> and oh lord his health kept on deteriorating uh, just month after month uh, he was having he was starting to have falls joint pain cognitive issues and then he sadly passed away uh, just this last week just before christmas uh, so first and foremost we want to extend our condolences amy to your family at the loss of your father um, but she is concerned that she believes that this Moderna vaccine could be a contributory factor in his death. So she was wanting to know if we had uh, know of anybody who's doing independent autopsies. Uh, she has a hunch that the shot was, again, a contributory factor. He was 86 years old, and she understands that, you know, at that age, he's lived a good and long life. But, you know, he was otherwise very healthy and she had expected that he would live probably well into his 90s, um, but wanted to know about some independent autopsies being done there in the Phoenix area. Um, and I don't know off the top of my head of anybody, but I have reached out through my network. Uh, so I look forward to being able to give you a more in-depth answer at uh, on a later episode where we'll, where we'll connect off air and try to provide you with that information. I don't know, Jody, if you know of anybody since you're in the Phoenix area. I don't, I don't. And I wanted to try to get that answer for her as well. Um, I, I will reach out to my network and see if there is any, anybody that would, um, would, would be willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it, uh, yeah. But it, I know I had somebody else reach out to me and and um, had a conversation uh, about her her mom being in the hospital and dying last year and she just cannot get it out of her head that she let her um, let her be intubated mm -hmm. and and all these things. So I really caution people with you know um, like progressively pursuing. Um, especially if, if they're so tormented, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, you know, at the end of the day, and we're, we're up against a lot of misinformation and a lot of scared people, you know, that don't want to share the truth. Um, and, and at that point, it's like, what do you do? You're paying tens of thousands to attorneys and lawyers and, and trying to find out, um, you know, I guess what, what purpose would that serve? You know, it's like, you know, in her email, Amy lists out, he got the vaccine, then he developed angina, then he got this, then he got that. Right. And so it's like, we're kind of already knowing which way that, that, it, the progression, like he probably had some heart damage and his heart, you know, after the second shot, then it, you know, it took on more and uh, damage. And so I I would just, you know, have you pray on it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, for those that are out there that are not medical to say that you have angina as a first presenting symptom means that you have chest pain. Yeah. And then that they said that he developed right bundle branch block, which means he now has an electrical conduction problem in his heart that's making his heart beat in an irregular way. So he's having chest pain, then he's having an irregular beat. Some people can actually feel those irregular beats. I can. And yeah. then it evolves to uh, myocarditis, 
which is inflammation of the muscle of the heart. So we're talking about a progressive step that certain age groups of people, I having been a person that presented with angina in my 20s and in my 30s for different medical reasons, it can be very dismissed, especially in women. Women are very likely to have a heart attack and not get treated simply because they're women. If you're not 55 or older, they're not paying attention to angina. They think it's your heartburn or you have reflux or GERD or something like that, but you don't have something that's cardiac. I encourage everybody out there listening that if you have any of these kind of symptoms, you just go in and you say, listen, I've got cardiac symptoms and I want an EKG. It's I, I want an echo. You've got I to advocate. You have to advocate for yourself. It's really important to note that women present differently with uh, cardiac symptoms. And a lot of times it's back pain that they come in with. And, you know, unfortunately there are, you know, there are some medical professionals that, as you said, dismissed, dismiss that and don't understand that women present very, very differently than men. So very important to familiarize yourself with how symptoms present in a woman and uh, advocate for yourself, demand that EKG every time. Yeah, Dr. McCullough has a whole protocol that's called the myocarditis protocol. If you have these kind of symptoms, I could write down that list in the show notes or make sure it's provided for everybody that he has a whole list of things that you should be asking for from your cardiologist. And you would think you would not have to ask for such things. Like you're the patient, uh, the doctor, you're counting on the doctor to know what they need to do. But his is the, um, it follows the heart failure American Academy of Cardiology guidelines for heart failure. So everything that he has on there should be what your doctor is doing with you. But for some reason, they're not. So um, we can include that in the show notes if y'all want to. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. If you'll send me the link, we'll make sure that we include that in the show. Uh, also, important to note in at the end of um, Amy's email, she did find out that the, the Moderna that he had, both of the lot numbers listed on his Moderna vaccine card were listed on that high mortality list. So that's important to note as well. They there are, I think, what is it? Know your, or how bad is my batch? How bad is my batch.com. If you have had the vaccine, you should look up your vaccine card, go to how bad is your bat, my batch, how bad is my batch.com and put your batch number in and discover if it's in a, what, what kind of problems are being identified with your particular batch? Yeah. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but Amy, we will, again, we are praying for you and your family. We're very sorry for your loss and we will uh, certainly be investigating and trying to find an answer for you and we'll reach out uh, via email. And if we're not able to answer that on air for you, we'll reach out to you via email and uh, see what we can find out. Um, but I think more and more people are looking for this kind of independent outside of the system, providers, doctors, um, medical examiners, uh, and different things. I, I know a lot of people are looking at the treatment that they've received, whether it had been during COVID or even the treatment that they receive currently in the hospitals and how I actually just did an episode with one of the nurses that works with us at Remnant. And it was just like system failure after system failure that really puts patients at risk. And Michelle, you know, you just went in this through this as well as, as a hospitalized patient and how important it is that you really have to advocate for yourself. And that's why I, I keep on trying to um, impart on everyone. You really need to have an advocate in place. Absolutely. 
Well, let me tell you something about what just happened with me as far as advocacy. I'm 12 weeks in and it's coming to the end of the year. So if you're a patient like Michelle was this year and you had a major surgery or accident happen to you, then you've probably met your medical deductible like I did. So having had been a person in the past that had major medical over the years, I learned the hard way that if there was something that you knew was probably going to need to be done on you, like blood work that hadn't been done that year, that maybe was your annual blood work or any kind of imaging that tends to be expensive. I try to make sure it gets done before the 31st, which would be, um, you know, the very last day of the year so that it's on the year that I've already met my deductible and the cost out of my pocket isn't going to be as high. So three weeks before the end of the year, I um, wanted to have some MRI imaging of my hip and my sacrum and my lower spine because I would have I was told that the three screws were coming out. So I left my messages with my orthopedic surgeon to do that. And two weeks later, it took them me hounding them to find them. Two weeks later, the day after Christmas, they call me and say, oh, Miss Michelle, you have to have an appointment to have imaging. You can't just order imaging. I'm like, uh, duh. That's why I, I, I left a message two weeks ago for you to do this. Their policy requires that. I said, it's your job to know your policy. And when I left a message two weeks ago, I clearly said, I want this done before the end of the year. So because they waited till the day after Christmas, which was the 26th, I had to have an urgent care visit because there were no doctors having any hours the week after Christmas because they're all on holiday. So I have to incur the cost of an urgent care. I had been six weeks without any physical therapy because of another mishap that they had done. I had been hounding them to get me my physical therapy reestablished when my in-home physical therapy had found out that I had flown to Arizona. They said, oh, if you can fly to Arizona, you don't need any in-home care. And so they just stopped. They stopped coming to my house. And I said, okay, well, I need a list of therapies in my community so that I can get outpatient therapy nobody would follow up with me with a list. So when I finally got a nurse, which it was a nurse at the orthopedic surgeon's office, her answer was, well, it's up to the patient to find their own therapy. I said, listen, let, let's just talk rational human beings for just a moment. The average <laughs> hip patient is probably 70 to 80 years old. I happen to be 56 years old. And I am not taking meds, but if I am an older lady in a lot of pain, I'm taking meds and you want me to find what my surgeon thinks is the best therapy in my community. And she says, man, we know therapies all over the whole state of Georgia. I said, but if I say to you, the community I'm talking to you in that you live in and I live in, you would just say to me, these are the, these are the therapies in that area. And she left me abandoned. So when I got to my urgent care appointment, the nurse practitioner that I got to see said, I think he was a PA actually, said, well, yeah, I know too, right in your community. I can't believe they didn't give it to you. I said, let me just stop for a moment beyond my care here. I'm a patient advocate. I'm telling you, you don't have a patient advocate in this building, okay? I am a nurse who even knows what to ask for, and I have had zero physical therapy for six weeks long. So please, for goodness sakes, you know, recognize that, you don't leave old ladies and broken people who've had emergency. I mean, if you're in an orthopedic care, you probably had an emergency, something bad happened to you, right? So it, here I am, the, the emergency person that just happens to be a patient advocate fighting for myself. During the Christmas holidays, I'm, I'm getting stressed out over it, right? 
because I know that it's going to be my money. And they kept saying, well, ma'am, if we can't get the imaging in before the end of the year, you're just going to have to have it done after January. I said, well, let me tell you what, though. If I have to have imaging after January 1, whatever the cost is, my insurance doesn't carry. I'm telling you, you're going to pay for it. This this office is paying for it because I have with it. And, and here's the thing. It's like a joke. It's like Michelle being some attempt at bullying on a playground. And the bully's actually 10 times bigger than me, right? I I don't have a chance at getting that money back if they image me after January 1. They can say, say whatever you want to, Nurse Michelle, but tough luck, kiddo. And that's really what the medical community has to offer in general is a lot of apologies. So I was getting pretty discouraged with that, finally fought for myself and got the order. And they said, well, honestly, you're probably the best person to put the order in yourself. So here's the order in hand. Call the outside the hospital imaging place and you tell them you need to be seen before the 31st. So I took the horns and I called that place first thing when they opened the next morning. And the people said to me, send it via email. I did it. I sent them a PDF version of it. And they said, okay, it takes about two hours to process. And this is going to be a relevant point in a moment. Two hours to process. Okay, so I call back two hours later. Is it processed? No, ma'am, it's not. So I did this every two hours all day long for six hours. At the end of the day, they said, oh, ma'am, sometimes it takes 10 days to get insurance approval. And I'm three days before the end of the year. And I said, well, that's just not okay. I'm literally doing the work for y'all. I'm helping you. Tell me what I can do. So the next day I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm into another doctor's appointment now. And they say, we're going to refax that order over to the imaging place. I said, thank you for doing that. So I call the imaging place and say, now, listen, this is the second attempt to get this order into y'all. Surely you have it in your possession. The answer was no, they didn't have it in their possession. I said, I need somebody who's competent. Who, who can find it, okay? And they find it for me. They don't find it. And she says to me, they never found it. She says, why don't you send it to me? I said, well, that's what I did yesterday. And nobody had it. She says, send it to my personal email right now. And I got a little excited because she was like my personality, like she's taking it on. And she, she said, oh, there it is. It just popped in my inbox. I said, well, what do you know? Email actually, <laughs> the whole world knows that if you send an email with an attachment, that literally within seconds, the world gets it. But the whole people the day before had to say to me, um, um, don't have it, don't have it, don't have it, don't have it. And I'm like, it's got to be processed. She says, yeah, that's kind of absurd to say that an email has to be processed. It's just received or it's not. And I'm like, thank you so much. Her name was Rosie. I said I was going to shout out for her because not only did Rosie do that, and get it immediately. She called the insurance immediately and within two hours had an appointment for me for that day. And when I, I, I usually don't take, have the time to write a letter. I said, give me your manager's name. I am writing a note about you. And I wrote this long letter basically saying, you know, here's all your staff. This is what happened with all of your staff. Nobody advocated for me. I gave them a sense of urgency. Nobody gave a crap that it was urgent for the patient except Rosie. And let me tell you what Rosie did. And I told him everything Rosie did that showed how easy it was to do the right thing for the patient and that she's a rare gem. She's worthy of a raise. She's worthy of recognition. Please do whatever you can to honor her. And I sent it on its way. And then the next day, um, 
came in for the came in for my imaging and got to meet her in person. And she had already gotten honored by um, the note that I had sent to the boss. And we had a great bonding experience. And we may even have her as a guest on the show, because I'm telling you, if you're out there as a patient with major issues in your health, you know that when people start dropping the ball to help you, it, it is it is actually a form of almost getting clinical depression because you are powerless and you know you're powerless. And here I am speaking as a nurse who even knows what to fight for, how to fight, and I'm feisty anyways, so I'm going to fight. And I, I almost was just completely overthrown by the failing system. I just had to tell that story. It was just an unbelievable story. It's all it's it, the system is just so broken and it's all it's a system right and anytime you're dealing with a system like that it's um it's 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 just unfortunate there's always these processes and like you said it's it's some, they take something simple and they completely convolute everything but uh, michelle i yeah. think you had a couple of questions that you were going to cover uh, yeah just even rec- yeah. i didn't even recognize as a nurse myself when they said um, we've got to wait for the email to process. Yeah. Like my sick brain that was suffering and struggling is saying, okay, it's got to process. But my, but when Rosie comes along and says, ding, there it is. It just popped in my email. It's like, yeah, this isn't actually a very hard thing to receive an email. <laughs> it's just absurd, really. So anyways, okay. So I've got a person um, who sent in an email that says, I have 10 week old twins full term. They woke up this morning with some sounds of congestion. I'm not able to really get anything out with their nose sucker, but I wanted to nebulize them. I have the food grade hydrogen peroxide and iodine as well as, as the uh, right nebulizer. I've seen that you've used it to help with RSV symptoms. I don't have cause for alarm with the babies yet, but I would like to be proactive and nip their symptoms in the bud. I'm so proud of her. And she says, what I need to know is what is the right dosage for 10-week-old babies? And she gave me their weights, which was around 9 or 10 pounds. So um, this is not an uncommon question that comes to us nurses. And, you know, people are just wanting to know about what to do about their little people. But when you're talking about babies, you know that we're either talking about bottle-fed or breastfed little people. And when you're that tiny, you could literally nebulize them at the breast. But there's like a whole RSV protocol that I told people that if you just kind of practice this protocol with your sick babies when they have respiratory infections, for the most part, you're not going to have an issue. And it starts with waking up in the morning, giving them a hot washcloth, you know, across their nose and getting all the crusty um, boogers off their face and then putting some saline up their nose. And um, bulb, bulb syringing that out. She said the sucker. And uh, that, and we actually go to my house sucking your brains out because the way that we do the babies in our house, I've asked my daughter-in-law who has my um, now nine-month-old granddaughter, if we could do a video of what it looks like to actually nebulize a baby this age, because most moms don't know that there's an easy way to do this, but it looks really scary. And that's you sitting on the floor with your legs spread and your baby's head up at your crotch and your arms, uh, their baby's arms under your thighs, you're actually pinning the baby down and their legs are free and you put a tissue across their chest and you're comforting them and soothing them. My kids get a look in their face like, what's up, mom? You know, when I do this and I already had the um, saline beside me and the and a wet paper towel beside me and I just um, put some saline up in their nose, close off the other nostril 
squirt some saline in it, and then start sucking their brains out and squirting it on the paper towel on their chest. And then I do it on the other side. And yes, it looks like they're drowning when you put the saline in. And yes, their eyeballs bug out. And yes, they start crying, but you're the mama and you've got to push through it because you're actually clearing their their breathing way because they are if they're young, they're what we call obligate nose breathers. They they don't really breathe through their mouth. They breathe through their nose because they're sucking. So you clear out their nose first thing in the day and you do it a couple of times throughout the day and you always do it before you put them to bed. But you're going to nebulize and you can nebulize them at the breast. You can actually have just simple saline and you can fan it at the breast or you can fan it um, in front of their face and uh, just blow it right there while they're sucking at the breast and just make it very gentle and beautiful. It feels like smoke are all around your breast and it's quite lovely and you make no big deal about it. The baby just really loves it. And they come to know that as a normal thing. And if they're super congested, you could do the high salt, which is 3% salt, which is the green Neil Med box that we can put in the show notes. And they, they will get, you only do that three times a day, like morning, noon, and bedtime. But another way that you can help that congested little people is have inside of your room, a nebulizer for the little babe, not a nebulizer, I'm sorry, a diffuser. And I'm not sure if everybody out there is already um, people who like to collect their um, um, essential oils, but there are eight essential oils that the Frontline Critical Care Coalition of Doctors came up with, and they are lavender, thyme, peppermint, eucalyptus, sage, and cinnamon. And if you keep the baby's room closed during the day and you have that diffuser running in their room, the room is literally saturated with these antimicrobial, antibacterial, antiviral um, oils that smell amazing and keep the door closed. And when you put them down at night, they're going to have that running all night long. And you can actually elevate the bed by putting a book or something under the top of the crib just slightly and make sure you've already cleaned out their nose. Sometimes you want to go into a shower, close the bathroom door and run some hot steam and let the baby just read a book to the baby, sing to the baby, do the bedtime routine in the shower, not in the shower. We sit on the toilet and the room is filled with shower uh, steam, you know, in, in the smallest bathroom you have so that it does it fast and you don't ruin all your wonderful hot water for your late night hot shower that you need after putting this baby to bed. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. And then put that steamed up baby and just make it so calm and soothing. Like we read our books in the bathroom during sickies. And then I sing to you before putting you down and your head is clear. I have nebulized you right before you got fed. And now I'm tucking you into a room that has all this wonderful atmosphere of all these oils. <laughs> And very likely you're going to wake up with a baby doing better the next day. And you can ventilate the room a little bit in the morning and get any sickies out of the house, out of that room. But for the most part, um, that call, that person who sent in that question gets that answer. Um, I, I still say every baby should be put down with X clear, which is pronounced clear, but you can get it in the America Out Loud store. Um, put it, put that nasal spray in their nose right before putting them to bed because it actually has medical citations that uh, prevent ear infections. So babies that have all this congestion can get really bad ear infections. It's a way to stop the ear infection. Well, I, I'm just going to say, Michelle, I, I'm not feeling well. You know, I've got a little bit of this head cold going in. Can, can you come and put me down? And so, I mean, that just sounded so fantastic. You know, the whole the whole thing. The, I'll rock you to well, sleep. In I mean, yeah, I could probably It'll make me feel a lot better. Um, We'll go, you can rock me in the shower. I mean, well, well, well. 
Rub my back. Okay, rub my back. Yeah, exactly. Give me some. Do some more. percussion. Well, actually, oh, you yes. do want to pat their back. That's actually yeah. part of the protocol is exactly. to actually do the patting of the back before they, percussion. while you're rocking them to bed so that you can loosen up that fluid. That sounds fantastic. All right. I'll pay for your gas. You're not that far. <laughs> <laughs> It's so important. So um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, I actually saw this, and this would probably be a better topic for nurse news analysis, but since I have it pulled up, I'd like to just kind of go ahead and get your insight on this. I don't know if you guys follow uh, Dr. Ben Marble. I'm sure you do. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Dr. O, the infamous Dr. O. Uh, We love Dr. Marble. Um, But he posted uh, the other day, he had a a thing that was posted originally on uh, the group died suddenly. And it says that the Australian government puts out a chilling notice advising health officials to opportunistically administer vaccines to patients who are under sedation or anesthesia. Wow. Yeah. Have you seen this? They're giving the vaccine to people that are conscious. That's it's kind of what it 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 was. This was a um, like a bulletin that went out to health officials, encouraging them to opportunistically administer vaccines to patients who are under sedation or anesthesia. So Dr. Marble, uh, Ben goes on to to put here, he was talking about his mother who had a minor surgical procedure here in the USA back in 2021. And after she got home, she read her discharge paperwork. And on her paperwork, it said that she was given a COVID vaccine, and which she had already refused. While she was while she was unconscious, they're saying that she got the COVID vaccine. So yeah, she called, yeah that's shocking. It, I'm telling you, it's frightening. So she called her doctor's office the next day, and they claimed that it was a paperwork error. And they said that she did not actually get the shot. So they had let it slide for the time being, you know, hoping that was true. But uh, since that time, she has continued to have declining health. She had, including a minor stroke. Um, and then he, he talked about, yeah. So she's had wow. health after that. Um, well, I tell you, after just being hospitalized up in the blue state of Maine, I, and I knowing I was going to go unconscious, I made sure on my medical records, that as I was signing my consents, I wrote on the out all, or law all on the outside that under no circumstances at all am I to have administered any vaccines for any reason at all ever without litigation risk. And I signed my name under the, that statement and said that there will be zero interventions done with me without consent of three people. And, and Nurse Jody was one of those people that I made sure was part of that. And I said that all three of the people on that consent had to agree before any decisions would be made on me while I was unconscious. Yeah. And a big, a lot of times I will recommend to people if they do find themselves in a position where they're having to be hospitalized and they're very clear, they can have all of the paperwork in their chart that they want, that they don't want a ventilator, that they don't want remdesivir, that they don't want vaccines. That can all be in place, but all it takes is one person to not see that piece of paper in your chart uh, and then, th- so what I recommend for people is to have uh, notes posted, uh, big signs, big Sharpie, you know, put it at the head of your bed. Oh, yeah. Put it at the, and I also recommend putting it on the computer next to the the scanner where they're going to scan a medication, something like that. I always make sure that um, that we we encourage them to to have that there because again pieces of paper in a chart can be very very easily overlooked 
But again, that's frightening. We're going to reach, we're going to talk more about that here when we get back from the break. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple, Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on the network at a discounted rate, including a CRE docs, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. 
America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. And wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, we thank you for giving us the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I am here with my amazing sister nurses, Nurse Jody, Nurse Michelle, and we are answering all of your burning questions on this edition of Q&A with the nurses. Uh, so Jody, I think we're going to follow up on that question uh, that Michelle was talking about with the baby and the nasal sanitation. When should somebody be concerned enough that they're going to bring that baby into the uh, to the emergency room or to urgent care? Well, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. So, cause we get these, these questions a lot. How do I know when to bring my child, um, in? Right. And, you know, if we just, just go by like simple things, are they eating? Are they peeing? Are they having enough wet diapers? Like their normal wet diapers, uh, based on their age. Um, are they pooping? Are they sleeping? Right. If they're doing all of those things um, and maybe, you know, they're not sleeping peacefully, maybe you're hearing them a little bit. Um, But all of those things are really indicative of a baby that's doing pretty well. Right. And especially when you have someone else in the household, another sibling that's sick, you can almost guarantee that this baby also has that sickness, right? The mm-hmm. the cold, the flu, whatever the case may be. Um, we, the three of us do advocate um, a lot for having um, a pulse oximeter in your home. Yes. So if you're looking at this child and you put a pulse oximeter on them and they're oxygenating properly and they're peeing and they're pooping and they're having their diapers and and they're and they're sleeping um but not too chances but not too much that that listless body that that weak kind of child that that's that sleeping too much moment right well i mean you know when you're sick you're sick right Mm -hmm. um and 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 definitely it's dependent upon age as well right mm-hmm. but if a child um especially if there is another sibling in the household that is sick um chances are you're going to bring the child into the emergency room and you're going to get either a doctor that does every single protocol or yeah. you're going to get a doctor that is competent on their assessment skills and will send you home telling you to um uh, no doctors don't really say nebulize. Um, but we do, um, but to clean out their, um, their airway, right. With, uh, there's, I, I think nose Frida is what my daughter had. And that little thing was just so good. <laughs> I could not believe how good it was, but that's it makes essentially, me sick. It makes me uh, sick. 
Why use a nose Frito when you could actually use a bulb syringe? And why would you want to suck from a straw? It makes me gag. The, about it. <laughs> the nose Frito, it, it, because you see it coming in the in the tubing. Oh, you know, no. you don't just hear it. I just well, love it. Oh gosh! Oh, gosh. <laughs> and it's a lot more powerful. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so I see what you're saying, Jody, because you know that's kind of satisfying, right? To see, I get that. But are you telling me that the mom sucks it like a straw? Yes. yes, I got the other engine. It's a very long, it's a very long cord and everything. So it's not like, um, no, I'm so nauseous type <laughs> that they, even, even when I see it for sale hanging and I'm getting shower stuff for people for a baby, I'm like, I'm never buying a nose Frida for anybody. I'm getting a bulb syringe. Interesting. I, I do want to just uh, really quickly comment, uh, Jody, uh, back up a little bit, piggyback on what you were saying about, and I agree with that, having that pulse, pulse oximeter. Um, for the baby, but it's important to to remember if it's a small baby or a small uh, infant that you know you can't use the uh, don't use the adult pulse oximeter. Uh, they do have an uh, one for babies. It's a little sock. I think it's called an owl. Is it owlet or owl uh, owlet? I believe uh, pulse oximeter where they have a little sock that you can put on. And so particularly if you have babies that might you know a premature baby or somebody that that has respiratory issues that you want to be monitoring that. Um, very important to to not use the adult pulse oximeter on on the child yeah but i mean having the pulse oximeter i mean it really definitely um you know really lowers your stress level because if yeah. you look at that and you're saying that um watch would call it that you have um that they're oxygenating properly then yeah. um then they're then they're good right like yeah. you're why are you bringing them in because you're going to have the the doctor, like I said, you you can have two different ways of thought, right? Um, if they're under 60, some even 90 days old, and they have a fever, and they can't determine, they need to determine the source of the infection, this is what we do. We will cath them, right? Do a urinary catheter in their urethra. We will take blood cultures. So they got to get an IV. They are going to get a chest X-ray and they could even get um, a spinal tap. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what they yeah. do to go down and determine what the source of infection is. So it's extremely um, what's the word I'm looking for? I just invasive. Very yeah, invasive. extremely yeah. invasive. Now I could, I've worked with doctors that say, oh, the sibling's sick. Oh, okay. Well, they got what the sibling has, Exactly. you know, and then they'll let them go home. So if you have the pulse oximeter at home and you're like, oh, my baby, you know, the, the saturations are above, I mean, for a, a baby, you'd want it to be after doing the bulb syringe in their nose because they're they're nose breathers right? right um you have to make sure that that their airway is cleared out there but if it's above 94 95 i mean you're good right and so it's fluids at that point loving rest the whole bath you know um protocol right and, and this is why another reason that I, I've always advocated for having um, access to a triage nurse, a telephone triage nurse. I actually did that for a while. 
Um, and my favorite, my favorite callers were always the new, the new parents, the new moms, because it's a really good opportunity to be able to educate them. And here's the thing. We want to keep these babies out of the hospital, if at all possible. You just heard what Jody talked about. If you're listening, you, you probably, uh, if you follow me at all on my Substack, you're probably familiar with, uh, the case that we just advocated for with, uh, Autumn, Autumn Shaw, who was a, a victim of medical kidnapping out in Palo Alto, California. And it was one medical intervention after the next that really worsened this baby's condition to the point where, I mean, they they nearly killed this baby. It was absolutely absurd. So I think that on the front end, we need to keep them out of the hospital as much as possible. Now, I would like to be able to tell you, oh, call these free nurse lines in your community. I worked for one of those free nurse lines. And that's the nurse line that I ended up resigning from my position for because um we had a scripted answer about the vaccine to tell people that it was safe and effective period. So I have a hard time even encouraging people to call that particular, um, you know, community nurse line. However, not to shamelessly plug remnant nursing again, but we do provide that service. Um, and it's, again, it's so important. We are able to, you, you have access to a nurse so that when you, um, are wondering, should I take my baby into the, to the hospital? Should I take them to the ER? Should I take them in for, uh, to see their pediatrician? You can ask these questions to the nurse. They can triage the situation and they can give you some, some good advice, uh, so that you don't take the baby unnecessarily to the ER. So that's an, a, a very important thing to have in place as well. There's somebody that I follow on Instagram. His name is Sean J. DeGray, D-A, great. And he is so entertaining. I get a kick out of him. Um, but his son, his four-year-old son, just recently had to be brought in to the ER for flu. And what he came on to tell was a shocking question that the nurses were being required to ask every single parent of a child that came into the ER. And she said, you know, I'm really ashamed that I even have to ask you this question, but I, I have to ask you this question. And she said, is the gender of your child the same gender it was when he was born. Oh my gosh. And the child was four years old. And that was, and she says, I'm really sorry. I have to ask that, but I have to have your answer for documentation. I mean, it just blew my mind. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm literally here for the flu. My kid can barely breathe. I need medical intervention. And you're worried about if the child even cares what its gender is right now, just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's you can really see the level of indoctrination that's happened. And the the more you can stay away from these uh, hospitals and the and the mainstream medical, the better. I mean, I cannot stress that enough. Hospitals aren't safe places any longer, and they haven't been for quite some time. Yeah, Jody gets to you're active right now. You're able to witness what is really going down. So we're glad that we got some. Oh, exactly. Cause you know, and I always say, you know, when nurses are ready to get out, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that we do still need good nurses on the inside. Cause there are going to always be people that have to go into the hospital and they need somebody there advocating for them as well. So it's really important that we have good critically thinking nurses still in the system to some degree. You yeah. Know. I mean, I, I feel just so blessed to be back and I'm, you know, I'm able to pick up whatever shifts I want. I'm not permanent. Um, I want to stay out of like politics. So I just, you know, pick my shifts, show up and, exactly. and, and work them. But, you know, here's another thing I'd like to piggyback off of the 
um, the sick child, whether it's a baby or a child, um, is fever. You know, um, may, you know, fevers are good. Yeah. Fevers mean the body is fighting. And so often people want to stop that cascade and, you know, we're medicating them with Tylenol, which actually, you know, um, is a depleter of glutathione and glutathione is made in the liver and it helps with immunity. And so, you know, I know when I had my child, uh, when I had Benjamin, uh, 15 years from when I had my last one, the doctor, my pediatrician said, don't medicate him unless it's 104. And I was like, really? And, and now, you know, getting out of this allopathic system and, and getting more into functional medicine, um, you know, that, that number seems to be right on point. The only reason why we should medicate, like Michelle was saying, is if the child is listless, if they're, if it looks like they're in pain, if they're not able, you know, to move or something, then yes, then it would be appropriate. Um, but other than that, you know, let the fever, let the fever ride. And yeah, I um, encourage the people to even put that warm tepid bath together and put a cup of Epsom salt in it and put the baby in it and just making it a couple of actions, doing that a couple of times a day on their sickest day when they're alert, you know, go ahead and do that. That can count as a steaming time that they get a little bit of steam in the room before you um, put them in the tepid bath, that room full of steam. And then give them that type of bath. It can help lower the temperature. But what are some other things that y'all would do besides IV fluids in the ER for that child that is coming in with a 104? Well, typically we wouldn't be giving um, IV fluids. You know, they would medicate. Um, a lot of it is, are they eating? You know, I say the, the one child that we had that was 60 days old, um, we went in there. The, the doctor did order to get a cath on them. And the um, mom and dad said, no, can you just put the plastic, which is not as sterile, right? Over the, the penis to just try to catch it over the diaper. And then, you know, we're waiting for him to, to eat. And, and she said they, they had brought him in because he vomited one time. Well, what do we do? We will do what we call a PO challenge. We will give, um, we will give some Zofran, right? And, and with this child, the doctor did order it IV, but after two attempts of trying to get the IV and get this child to sit still to draw the blood, the mom said, well, can you take a break? Well, then at that point, you know, I just went to the doctor and said, hey, you know, we missed the, the parents want to, um, want to uh, wait. Uh, can we just give them... Um, you know, under the tongue Zofran. And he said, yeah, yeah. Give him under the tongue Zofran and then PO challenge him. So what wound up happening was we didn't medicate for the fever because the parents didn't want to, but why they came into the ER was because he vomited and they, and that scared him. And so um, their daughter was at home sick with the flu. So we already knew that, there, you know, that was in the household and the baby probably caught it. And we wound up not having to do anything to him. You know, we didn't even wait for the urine sample. What um, is it? Will you tell everybody what the PO challenge looks like? 
Oh, so a PO challenge is, thank you, Michelle. I, I hate trying to, I hate speaking above people. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, PO challenges, you take the Zofran, um, you know, the anti-nausea, and then you see if you can hold fluids down. If you can hold fluids down, then you're good to go and we'll send you home for the most part. Right. And, and so, and then, and that's why like the TWC, you know, they do have that emergency medical kit and, Mm. and it's important. There's so many things that we could do to not go into the hospital, um, like the, having the Zofran in the emergency kit. You know, I think, I think everybody needs to start looking at the at this as something they really do need to have prepared for you know they have eight different emergency meds um that are given in emergency right if you're like oh i don't want to take big pharma and i want to try natural yeah try natural try all of those things but if they don't work your only other option is to go to the hospital and get it or go to a doctor and get it so if you can be stocked up and prepared for these things like having the oxygen at home if you're if your oxygen levels are low well throw, throw two liters on drink hydrate yourself have chicken soup make you know the jewish penicillin matzo ball right like do all the things but you know if you're vomiting and and you can't stop it and you're not able, and now you're going to get de- now you're at risk for dehydration well a little pill of zofran will will stop that you know, I we don't really encourage people to stop diarrhea unless it becomes really bad because you, you know, lose your electrolytes and your poop, right? Uh, potassium, magnesium, sodium, that like those things run your heart. So you have to be careful with that. But if you can hydrate yourself and, um, and not vomit it, you know, and or use oxygen to keep your sats up, you know, that really eliminates a lot of reasons why one would go to the hospital or be admitted. That reminds me of um, Shelly, who one of y'all have interviewed already for your show, who has her um, IV hydration clinic set up in a state somewhere. I think everybody does need to find out where their local IV hydration options are in their cities. Yep. And we'll drop a link to Shelly. We'll drop a link to Shelly in there. That's, That's a good point. What state is she in? I can't remember. Uh, She's She's here in Arizona. She's up in Cottonwood. Um, yeah, she's up in Cottonwood and she's training nurses with uh, Remnant Nursing, right, Kimberly? Yep, yep, she absolutely is. She's training our nurses are going through that course uh, so they're able to do mobile IV. That's another service that we're able to offer is mobile IV therapy. So we can go in the home, in the office, you know, wherever you're needing that hydration, we can come right to you. So yeah, Shelly's amazing. I got to have to get, I get her back on the show as well. Well, I've got a couple of things that people have been asking about uh, that that people are still being harassed for masks out there. I'm surprised that it's happening. I mean, everywhere I go in public, I literally have cards for immune mist that tell them if you have a mask on and you walk past Nurse Michelle and I'm not in a problem situation that I cannot do myself. I literally walk up and say, hey, I see you're wearing a mask. You know, do you know there's a better way? Has your doctor not told you about iodine nasal spray and throat spray? Here's a card. Listen, you can get this in your home. And I give them a whole little spiel. And they're always grateful because they didn't, somebody's made them afraid. But if you don't know this out there, we have a link that we can put in the show notes to 170 mass studies showing harms and um, ineffectiveness of the masks. 
And what I'm surprised at is some of the medical people get a little snarky sometimes. They're like, uh, we wear masks in the hospital. I'm like, yeah, right. I know. I know why we do wear them. You know where you, why you don them as well. And it's not, it's literally like what happened to me in the hospital when the nurses said, it's my job to protect them when they come in my room. They were saying that through their N95 masks. And I said, do you not think your mask work? Is that, is that why I need to protect you? And do you think your vaccine did not work? It's just, the, it's like, even as they get asked that question, their eyes are like, um, yeah, that's kind of a logical question, isn't it? I mean, the, these ear loop masks, they do not prevent aerosolized viruses, period. They do not prevent transmission. I mean, it says it right on the box. It says it literally right on the box. These do not prevent transmission. Um, and like you said, they're they're vaccinated. They're like quadrupled, I, I, I mean, like seven times vaccinated. And they're wearing masks, uh, double masks, and they are still afraid of what they're going to catch. I, I just, I can't understand it. Yes. Yeah. Here know. we go again. It's all over again. And people's employers are still doing that for them. Yeah. We do have help for you to combat that. And there are um, links that we have already done from last year that show you how to confront any attempt at trying to mandate you for something. And if it's mass, then you can you can reach out to us and we'll try and do what we can to direct you toward those links where you can find information about how you can fight for yourself because you have got to learn to fight for yourself and stand up against this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yep. we'll make sure that we include all of those links in the show notes. Uh, I think that's it. I think we're running out of time. We're coming up against it. But thank you, ladies, for joining me for another edition of Nurses Out Loud Q&A. And we will be back next week. That is all the time that we have. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can also catch the Encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses who are here with me today. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. It's time